Hi friends, welcome back. My guest today is Dylan Werner, yoga teacher extraordinaire and an author. Breathing is one of the few ways that we can directly interact with how our physiology is operating, and yet no one ever actually taught us how to do it. Dylan is one of the world's best-known yoga teachers, and today he gives us a breakdown not only how the breath can impact our mood and our performance, but also explains the biology of how breathing works, how you can implement breathwork into your daily routine, and he guides us through an entire breathwork sequence at the end of the episode. Despite what Dylan says, please do not do it if you're operating heavy machinery or driving a car, because I'm not liable for you doing weird breathwork and crashing. In other news, this episode is brought to you by Surfshark VPN. Protect your browsing online and get access to the entire world's Netflix library for less than the price of a cup of coffee per month if you haven't already secured your browsing, your data, your passwords from nasty hackers that are tracking you and trying to steal your information or websites that are split testing you on prices for products that you are already buying, what are you doing with your life? Head to surfshark.deals slash modernwisdom for 83% off three months free and a 30-day, 30-30-30-day 30 money-back guarantee. Not only that, but at the press of one button, you can access the entire world's Netflix library, all the movies, all of the seasons and TV shows that you can get in America or in Japan or anywhere else. No matter where you are, you can access everybody else's, which means that you're basically 10xing the size of your Netflix library for £1.54 per month, something like that. Go and do it surfshark.deals slash modern wisdom 83% off three months free and a 30-day money-back guarantee but for now it's time to learn how to breathe like a yogi with dylan werner Dylan Werner, welcome to the show. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Pleasure to have you here, man. How's Bali treating you? What are you getting up to out there? Uh, it's good. It's uh, you know, I was actually in London through the whole lockdown. Uh, I, I left Bali to go to London to teach, and that's when the the whole pandemic kind of started. Got stuck there. Got in lockdown. Then I, I wrote a book, which I know we're going to talk about. Um, yeah, so then, uh, since, since then I've been kind of just trying to get back here, but it's, it's been great. It's like the, uh, the whole pandemic just grazed Bali. So it's, you, you see like little signs of, uh, of COVID here and there. Like you got to get your temperature taken when you go into a restaurant and the staff wears masks, but no one else does. It doesn't really make sense. It's more just like people follow rules because of rules, but they're not really in place, but yeah, Bali's an amazing place to be right now. So, is there no public masking when you're walking about on the street? No, should be. It just but, feels like a different world now. Yeah, yeah, I know. When I watch the news and I and I and I talk to my friends back in the states or my friends in Europe, it's like uh, it, it is it is totally different. And I spent I did experience most of that before getting back here in October. So I'm well aware of what, what the new normal is. And I'll tell you what, it's, it's good to be here right now. Where are you practicing your yoga in Changu? Where am I? Where are you practicing it in Changu? Are you going to a studio? Oh, 
looked right behind me, like right there, that that little space behind me on that floor. That's a uh, that's where I practice yoga. So you're not day. going to obviously. There's a lot of different yoga studios out there, nice places with bamboo leaves, and everyone in Lululemon. And you're not bothering to venture. There's there's some beautiful studios here. On Saturdays, I go to Kirtan, which is like um, yoga music. So uh, basically, people get together, and someone plays harmonium, and someone plays uh, a, a drum or something, and you sing mantras and kirtans. Yeah. It's uh, I don't know. It's it's kind of a, uh, it's called bhakti yoga. Bhakti means the yoga of devotion, and so it's a it's a different different sector, different aspect. It's uh, it's good though. Yeah, I, so I that's, didn't. That's, I didn't realize until reading your book that there was a philosophy behind yoga. I knew that it was to do with embodied practice and. Uh, different levels of awakening and stuff like that. But I didn't realize that there was a full philosophy behind it. Can you tell us a bit about that? <laughs> the full philosophy about of yoga. There's, there's a lot of philosophy in yoga and it, it really depends on what, what you're talking about. I think, uh, I think what most people are familiar with as far as like the fundamental philosophy of yoga would be the, um, the yoga sutras and Patanjali's eight limbs which is essentially like the path of yoga towards enlightenment. Uh, yeah, there, there's there's a lot of different ways you could look at it or in, interpret it. And I think just like religion, people take the text and they kind of interpret it to make sense of their lives. And, and yoga philosophy is really, really kind of the same way, but it's it's a guide just basically to understand your life and how to live a more harmonious life like any philosophy is. And I think that's really one of the big differences with with yoga compared to other kinds of fitness. I mean, yoga is yoga is an interesting word in and of itself, because like all words, we give words meaning and we define them to be what it is. And so, uh, like I know when I came into yoga, my definition for the word yoga was very different than what it is now. It, it was. It was like what I think the the vast majority of people think of yoga. It's stretching and sun salutations or maybe ashtanga or some sort of like physical calisthenics type movement. And, and that is that is definitely what yoga is. But it's it's also it's also like the way that you interact, the way that you think, the way that you breathe. There's the, the way that you conduct yourself. Um, I don't know. For, for me, like it's just it's the word that encompasses understanding your fundamental truth, which I'm, I'm not going to tell you what your fundamental truth is. Everyone's is, is like, that's, that's the journey. It's like understanding that in and of itself. You know, we're all living a subjective experience. We all see the world through our eyes. And I know for a long time, I thought, I thought the world like kind of uh, revolved around me, right? It's like he, you, you, you become self-centered and, and not even in a negative way. It's just, you are the center of yourself and, and, and that's how you see things. Uh, and I think as you become more mindful and more aware of, of reality or the truth of reality, you see that your perspective is, is simply that it's your perspective and no one else shares your perspective. And therefore you can't understand anyone else's perspective because you can only understand their perspective from your space. Yeah. And, and and yoga shows you kind of where you fit into that whole not being separate, 
but more of being a part of it. Right. And I, I think uh, I have a, one of my, my favorite teachers, his name is Shiva Das. He talks about what, what the true meaning of yoga is. And it's, um, you know, it's not about trying to be happy or be fit or anything or, or even like uh, the, or freedom from suffering, but it's returning back to the truth. And the truth is that we're whole. And so uh, that, that's kind of like when I think of yoga, that's, that's what I think of. And when I practice yoga, like I, I use the common vernacular that everyone uses. Like, yeah, are you going to go do yoga? And I know what they mean is, are you going to go do asana? And which is fine, right? Yeah, because yes, I'm, that is a part of it. That is definitely part of it. So I'm going to go practice asana. But uh, yeah, it's definitely the definition for it has changed. And and that's kind of just like the start of the philosophy. I mean, we could spend the whole time talking about different aspects of philosophy of yoga. We could talk about maya, how we see everything as illusion. We could talk about the yamas and the niyamas and and conducts with yourself. And we could talk about what enlightenment is and spirituality and all that. But I think uh, I think at the end of the day, everybody is going to find what those words mean to them and define those words and give those those things significance. And and essentially, that's what all philosophy is. It's finding the significance. Do you think that a lot of people who are practicing yoga are missing out on that side? I've been to a number of yoga practices, some where you are in Changu and also local ones in the UK. And although there is a talk of something broader than the movements themselves, kind of on the surface, connect to the breath, connect to yourself, like, you know, the, the meditative practice sort of words doesn't ever really seem to leave the mat. Yeah, I mean, that's, I, I don't want to really make that judgment towards anyone else uh, for their journey because there are definitely some people that it, what's important is that whatever you're doing, you're getting something from it and you're going to take what you need at that time. For me, I ended up taking a lot more of the, the philosophical part or the, the quote unquote spiritual part from yoga because that's what I needed. I was, I was so lost in my life. I was, um, I, I am and always have been kind of uh, a, an adrenaline junkie or whatever. Like I, if there, <laughs> I, I love to surf, rock climb. I was into skydiving. I, I've, uh, yeah, snowboarding, whatever it was like fun and fast. I enjoyed, but I did it not. I did it because I loved it. But there's also like there's something that I realized was missing in my life or I didn't know was missing in my life, but I was getting it through those things. And it was, it was something that was as simple as being present. And we talk about this all the time in yoga. And even like as yoga is now the, the philosophy of yoga is seeping out into, into other, you know, I know you, you do a lot of the biohacking stuff and you're into that and this mindfulness and meditation. And that, that really has strong roots in yoga, but not only in yoga. So we, we see these these things all starting to interconnect and seep into each other. Uh, but I needed I needed to figure out what it was to be here. And I didn't know I needed that. All I knew was that I thought my life would be better in the future or the past. And and for me, it was generally the future. There's kind of there's there's not like to kind of put people into like a general place, like there's some people, especially older people, they, they reminisce of the past, and so they tend to live in the past. And if they're older, there's more past for them than there is future. 
right? So they tend to be there. If you're a little bit younger, you might live more in the future because you, your aspects and your goals and the, the prospect of, of your life being better lives in the future. And so you miss out what it is to actually live. And, and doing those extreme things, I was for the first time living. And it was the first time being like the, the, in yoga, I, I talk about this almost every podcast because I think it's such, such an important thing, but the word sat, the, the truth, um, which means like unchanging, right? Everything in the world is changing. Everything in the universe is continuously changing. There's actually an epic YouTube video that shows the, the history of the universe and it goes into trillions and trillions and trillions of years. And it's, and it's done to this like cool thing, but it, it shows basically the end of all things when all the final the final star burns out. That, 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 that's a crazy thing to think about. At one point in the future, the last sun will use up all of its energy and there will be no light in existence. And, and so if we could, you know, like the, the whole universe will cease and then, and then there will be the cooling and everything will come to absolute zero and then there will be no movement and then time becomes completely irrelevant right there's there's going to be a point where time no longer exists because there's nothing moving for time there's nothing to experience it so uh i know we're getting kind of way off into a tangent here but there there's one thing that at least we could experience now because because to live is to experience and that's what life is death is non-experience that, that's the only thing that separates those two we know we know what experience is, so we so we uh, we tend to try to hold on to that, and we we're afraid of the non-experience because we don't understand that. Even though you can't experience non-experience, it's just it's just there. But the truth, the unchanging truth, is this present moment. It's the window that that looks out into the changing world that never changes itself. Like sitting on a train and you and that and you're just going down and you look and you see everything pass while well, everything passes through that window and that's essentially what your life is. And if you, uh, you know, if you if you turn your head, then then you miss actually what's going on. So I don't know. Yeah, that's <laughs> as far as people getting there. I didn't think I would get there. I got there because I needed to get there. And I think the more people that practice it, practice yoga, because yoga is really like that whole like focusing on the breath and the body and the thoughts. That's all that is, is connecting those things together. We, we're, we're used to living in this world where where the mind and the body are two different things. And we think that they're separate. And we think because I'm the one looking, because I'm, I'm from my point of view, that everything else is not me. And, and that's just the perspective of things. It's like the tree, the, the leaves on a tree thinking that they're not the tree. And so, yeah, I don't even know where I'm going with this, but, um, yeah. So, so we're in yoga, we come into that class and we, and we start to move into our body and we start to actually move into our breath a little bit deeper and to, and we're, we start to understand a little bit more of what being means because, all that all that meaning comes from intention and that was the real difference from coming into yoga and doing extreme sports like in extreme sports I, I was brought to the present moment but without intention and because I didn't have the intention I didn't last it very long 
with yoga, it, was, it wasn't the fact that I was practicing, practicing yoga, but it was the fact that there was an intention placed upon that. And that could be a definition of yoga. If you do anything with intention, that could be yoga. I don't know. I, I think it's more helpful to find the things that yoga is than to try to find the things that yoga isn't. Uh, there's, I've spent too much time trying to defend what yoga is when it needs no defense and and if if people listening if you're out there trying to find out what yoga isn't it's not going to help you in your journey towards anything yeah my thoughts i don't know i had this uh, conversation with paul bloom who is a, a psychologist and philosopher from yale i think and uh he quoted this dominatrix talking about why people are into bdsm and hardcore sex and he uh, arrived at it in the same way as why people do extreme sports and why people do scary things. This quote from this dominatrix is, nothing captures attention like a whip. And the point is that if someone slaps you in the face really, really hard for one to five seconds after that, you're not thinking of anything. The mind is completely blank. But you are there, you are in the moment. And right. I think that the people that chase extreme sports are looking for that same presence you can't if you're base jumping or snowboarding or rock climbing and you do allow the mind to drift the implications are incredibly grave you might die the, yeah they can be and I, I could take that to kind of play a little to maybe devil's advocate or or i i completely agree with that uh but if that person continues to slap you in the face for the next like 12 hours <laughs> At some point in time, you're going to start thinking about something else, or you're going to try to disassociate with that experience. You know, so it's you can only it out, outside outside stimuli, stimuli, whatever they are, that it's eventually. And that's what I noticed with with, uh, with skydiving, that after after a certain number of jumps, that I was thinking about the next jump rather than enjoying the jump that I was on, you know, and so. Is yeah. that part of the usefulness of yoga, that you are always in control, that you do have to have this intentionality, that you are going into it, and that whatever happens is down to you, whatever doesn't happen is down to you. There aren't any, other than gravity, there aren't really very many external stimulus that are acting on you. Is that why it's forcing you to connect that Mind, body, breath. I want to say I don't know. <laughs> I mean that that's a that's a really good question to kind of explore into. Um, I th I just I think it's kind of different for everybody. You've yeah. been working on the breath a lot recently, though. How come you decided to focus so much on that and a little bit less on yoga when writing a a book? It's not that it's something that was the recent. I think I think people when they when they see me or the people that follow me and and my practice, they really just see the physical side of it because that's the easiest thing to show. And if uh, I, I do like to write a lot, and I and since I started my social media, a big part of of what goes into my post is, is writing about philosophy or writing about the thoughts, even if it's just like a simple line or something, trying to provoke 
some sort of thought into someone else so that maybe start a conversation or start a com- that person starts a conversation with themselves or someone else. But always, always in my practice since I started yoga was a breathing aspect. I, I learned pranayama from it. And um, I talk about this in my book in the beginning of the book of like of coming into pranayama and really not understanding what it was for other than I was supposed to do it. Right. And I, I think a lot of people that practice breath work, they just know that they're supposed to do it. I mean, we know that we're supposed to breathe. We, we have to, we have no choice. And people that start, like, people that are more into like the biohacking stuff, people that are taping their mouth at night because they know I'm supposed to breathe through my nose and, and I'm supposed to breathe less, like, they, they get that part of it. But there's a, a much greater aspect to the practice other than just breathing right or breathing less. And that is that everything energetically, physically, emotionally is linked to the breath. And because it's linked to the breath, the breath has some control over it. And so essentially that you could control almost every aspect of your life by learning how to control the breath, how the breath works. And you could, what, what I do mostly in my breath practice, and this is something that I think um, maybe for just the past six or seven months or so, um, my, my breath practice is focused almost entirely on increasing athletic performance. And, and though you could do it for everything, and sometimes I do other practices and stuff, I, but it's, it's a tool. It's a tool. So you, you pick the tool that you need and you, you figure out what that tool does and how to use it and how to benefit, benefit your life with it. Uh, yeah. So I've been, I've, I've been doing breathing and uh, studying breathing and I've been teaching it. I've been teaching workshops and seminars on breath work. Um, I want to say for like seven or eight years I've been doing doing those where I actually get quite deep into the philosophy and all that. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, so it's always been a part of my practice. I, I, I had no intention really of writing a book on my first book anyways to be about breathing. I was in I was here in Bali last year right before I, I flew to London and my publisher reached out to me. And it's really kind of like a, a serendipitous kind of thing because uh, it was actually his wife that contacted me first, uh, him or her and the, the owner of, uh, of the publishing house, Victory Belt Publishing. They had been practicing with me online for a good period of time. And uh, the, the owner of uh, Victory Belt said that he started yoga through my classes. And it just talked to him. It kind of felt right. And I, I felt like he understood me a little bit like knew me a little bit and because I honestly didn't think I could write a book I was like there's there's no way that I that I can do this and if I did I thought my first book would be solely on like philosophy like I was thinking about I'm going to do a book on I wanted to call it uh like something like unveil the Maya like um basically like uh removing the 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 veil of illusion and uh when I talked to him we we talked about like five or six different books and we arrived at doing this book on breathing. And one of the things I I thought was like, well, this is going to be the easiest book because I've done so much work with it. And when you've, when you've spent a lot of time with something and you've taught something for a really long time. And I think that's another thing 
that I feel really grateful about before writing the book is that I spent so much time teaching it that it, uh, that I knew exactly how the whole thing was going to come together before I even put pen to paper. Yeah. So. What do most people have wrong about the breath? What do they think it can or can't do that it can't or can? Well, uh, I mean, that depends on who you're talking to or who you're asking. Like if you're asking a yogi, almost all yogis know pranayama. Like if you're, if you've been practicing yoga for more than six months, you've at least heard of pranayama or done some sort of breath work. Uh, I think what they mostly get wrong is they don't know why that they're doing that. It's like, um, it's like, I mean, I, I could also say that it's probably true of a lot of people that practice the physical asana stuff. They don't understand what's the purpose of triangle pose. They just do it because the teacher says to do it. So if you go down and you start doing a practice, like one of the classic ones is called Nadi Shodana, which is uh, alternate nostril breathing. It's really to balance, you know, and, and, they'll, and they'll explain this. It's to balance your Ida and your Pingala energies. But, but like, what does that mean? Right. So I. I remember the first time I did it was in, in my, my 200 hour teacher training. And I'm a very like kind of scientific kind of very literal. I want facts and evidence and I want things to be cited. That's why there's citations in my book, you know, like reference. Like, yeah, I, I want to understand where this is coming from, why we're doing it, what's the benefit. And then, and this practice of alternate nostril breathing, you know, like you inhale through the left nostril, and then you exhale through the right, inhale through the right, exhale through the left. So you're switching back and forth. But I know when, once you go past the septum, it just goes right into the perinasal, the perinasal cavity and the sinuses and, and then uh, down the trachea into the lungs. Like it's, it's, it just goes together and then it's one. And so I didn't understand how there is benefit of it or the physiological benefits. And there actually is. There is, there is, there is a lot that has to do with right and left uh, hemispheres with actually balancing those energies. But now I understand what those energies represent. There's, uh, there's has to do with, um, decreasing the amount of breath. So breath regulation. So you actually are breathing less and what that breathing less does as far as, uh, stimulating the parasympathetic nervous system and increasing dorsal vagal complex tone and, and slowing the heart rate and just bringing you down into like a, a deeper state. And so, and I also know how I could take that practice and change it now. And, and that's the other thing. It's like you're kind of given with, with traditional yoga, you're given these practices and it's like, here's this practice in the box and you got to keep it in the box and you can't really mess with it. And you just got to do it exactly like this. And then here's this other practice and these don't really go together. And then do this. And it, it's like, okay, now we do Bastrika, which is like a fast breathing practice. And I don't think I was ever taught why I would want to do Bastrika or or a lot of them and even if you go and you start studying like the older the older texts that talk about pranayama the the information that you're going to get seems pretty pretty like out there and and for me as as a spiritual yoga yogi to say that like out there it's like if you practice this in the way of the master exactly as taught which is not referenced in there because uh, you're supposed to learn everything directly from your guru. People that are old will be young. You're like, oh, well, that sounds pretty good, right? And, and it's just like, um, or or the other thing that you get is this this breathing practice. If I if I look online and I go, what does this breathing practice do? And 
I find somebody's website that wrote up about it. I want to see like a hundred different things that this one breath practice does. And it's like, does it really do all those things? What does it do the most effective and, and why does it do those things? And so when I, when, um, I think as far as what people get wrong with the breath is not understanding the potential and then not understanding what the breath that they're doing actually does. What are the principles of good breathing then? What are the mm. foundational principles of it? Like if you want to talk about just like daily breathing, like how, how should I breathe normally? Uh, well, I think, I think at this point most people know always breathe through your nose. Always, uh, I mean, the, the nose is a filtration system. It humidifies and it downregulates the amount of air that we breathe. Uh, it, it's funny because, like, now in, in COVID time and talking about everyone wearing masks and watching, uh, especially in um, my my once home country. I haven't, I haven't lived there in a really long time, but my, my home country of the States, the good old America, where people are like, it's my God given right to breathe, and I can't breathe if I wear a mask. And all, and I don't know, I did a, a racist country accent there. <laughs> I don't have any, anything against people that are from the country or the Midwest. But yeah, like the fact that you can't breathe with a mask or that wearing a mask is, is bad. It's actually one of the things that we, we, the benefits or the reasons why we want to breathe less is to increase carbon dioxide, to increase our, our CO2. Why would you want that? Uh, well, the effects of, that CO2 has on the body. First of all, we, so if I breathe, right, the, the, one of the common misconceptions that people have is like if if I breathe a lot if I breathe really fast I get more oxygen right if, if you heard that before breathe more you get more oxygen have you ever put your finger in like a an spo2 monitor uh so spo2 monitors you, you probably have at some point they they just put it like a little thing on your finger it measures your your blood oxygen saturation and it says oh it's like 97 to 99 percent generally most people aren't below 95%. And, and the majority of the air that you breathe out or the majority of the oxygen that you take in, you breathe the majority of it out. So you're not even utilizing most of the oxygen that you take in. And it's not at 100% usually because there is some sort of, uh, there's, there's a chemical or there's, an, there's a, an exchange between the oxygen and the carbon dioxide on the cellular level. So that's always happening. If I breathe more, what happens is I, ch I start to change my pH. So I, I have, I, by breathing more, I'm not actually getting more oxygen. I'm breathing off more carbon dioxide. So that's, that breathing more is going to affect my sympathetic nervous system. And we see this in HRV, heart, heart rate variability. So we know as I inhale, I stimulate the sympathetic nervous system and the heart speeds up and it becomes more regular. As I exhale, I stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system, the heart slows down, and it becomes more varied or irregular, which is, which is a good thing. The more you, you, I'm sure, studied a bit into HRV. So, so we know that we know just through that as, as one of the many things that the breath affects the nervous system. So if I breathe more, I breathe faster, I get more sympathetic. Uh, the other thing is I breathe off more carbon dioxide, and so that changes my blood chemistry so I actually become more alkalinic 
which we were like, oh, I want to be alkalinic. And I mean, we could talk about that. I do, I do discuss that, why you actually don't want to be alkalinic through breathing, but sometimes you do. I lose the carbon dioxide. And the other thing that happens is the oxygen bond to the hemoglobin becomes, uh, becomes much stronger. So when I breathe in, we have the, part, the atmospheric pressure that's in the lungs, and that kind of helps push it onto the hemoglobin. Also, also the hemoglobin, it, it, it's a different shape when it lets go. So then it attaches, the oxygen molecules attach to the red blood cells, and it kind of like locks on there, and then it goes. Well, there's a system that tells it to release, and that system is is described through the Bohr effect, which um, is uh, you've heard of the Bohr effect before in, in your so book. The Bohr, uh, in my book, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> the Bohr effect basically basically states that that um, by increasing carbon dioxide and and um, decreasing pH, which is makes it more acidic, that you uh, decrease the affinity or the attraction of oxygen to hemoglobin. And so that allows the oxygen, and this is on, on the, in the, in the tissues in the cellular, in the cells, this allows the oxygen to be released from the red blood cells and go into the cells. And so then you have that exchange between, between oxygen and carbon dioxide, right? So with, without that, we don't really get the oxygen into the body. So we need that carbon dioxide. We also breathe uh, we take our breaths based on how much how much carbon dioxide that we have in in our body. So this is uh, th- there's there's several different breathing ways, but one of the ways is is in the in the aortic arch. It kind of measures that, and we have also in the brain too, which that measures oxygen. But we have it measuring like how much carbon dioxide. So if um, my levels of carbon dioxide get high, then my body says breathe. If they're low, it says don't breathe. It's one of the reasons why Wim Hof method works how it does. You breathe really fast. You become you don't you don't increase your oxygen levels. In fact, you're you're doing the opposite by breathing fast. You don't get the exchange of oxygen on onto the into the cells. And, and one of the ways that you can just test that real quick is to hyperventilate and then feel lightheaded and dizzy. Well, the reason why you feel lightheaded and dizzy is one that you change the pH. It's not that you have more oxygen because you know if you put on like 100% oxygen, you actually think clearer, not less. You don't go ooh dizzy. But then also you continue to do that. Then you because you're not getting the oxygen to the tissues at the extremities, you start to have what's called carpal, uh, carpal pedal spasms, carpal hands, pedal feet, where you start to do this, this posturing stuff. If you re- you see it, like I was a paramedic for eight years, and people that have panic attacks and hyperventilate they're like this and then if you do long long breathing like more controlled you'll feel your face get numb your belly get numb well all these are are effects of having low carbon dioxide you become hypocapnic or deficient in carbon dioxide well so when you do Wim Hof breathing you do this rapid fast breathing you become um, hypocapnic and and so then you're able to hold the breath for a really long time because those CO2 levels have to rise back up to get to the point where you want to take a breath again. And that's why you're able to do this. And, and you hold on the exhale, which gives you the advantage of, of um, using up more oxygen. So then once you start using up the oxygen, you're holding the breath, your CO2 levels come back up, the oxygen levels go down. And, and now you, this is where you start getting into increasing like athletic performance and all the other benefits that come from breathing less. Uh, and, and so then your body said, we, we make about 
two million to two and a half million red blood cells every second. And also we lose about two to two and a half million red blood cells every second. And those red blood cells live for about three to four months each. And it's a demand system. So the body's always trying to main, it's always trying to do what it needs to do to do what it needs to do. Right. This is this is like we want to, we want to give the body the body wants to give you what you need. But if you sit on the couch and you over breathe all the time when you get up and you try to run, what your body did was when those red blood cells died, it said, well, you know, be, because we're over breathing, um, the the oxygen is staying on the red blood cells and it's coming back to the lungs. And so they're coming back with oxygen. So we don't really need that. We have too many red blood cells. Those take energy to make. And we're making 2 million of every second. So let's make less. And then, and then you go to run and you're like, then you're like, shit, I'm so winded. Uh, but if you breathe less, even if you just like, so if you do cardio, that you are working towards the upper end of your cardio respiratory limit. Your heart is beating fast, your metabolism is increased. Even though you're breathing faster, you're using more oxygen than what you have. And so the body goes, oh, we need, we need, to, we need to make more red blood cells so that we can carry more. The analogy that I, I, I use, there's a lot of really good analogies, but it's like uh, if, you, if you go, you've been on the tube before. So people that aren't, aren't, uh, aren't Londoners or whatever aren't, aren't familiar with the tube or the subway or the underground or, or whatever, some sort of uh, underground system. Or like in China, you see all these people, or Japan, I think it's Japan, all these people like pressing in, trying to get as many people into one train car as possible. Well, this is, this is, this is what we're trying to do when we don't have a lot of red blood cells. Right, we pack those. They can only be packed full, and so if you if if you try to breathe more to pack those more, it's not it's not going to do anything. And we already know that breathing more is. And in fact, actually, when we breathe more, we're not allowing those those passengers to get off. So it's like they do the whole circuit and they come back, and there's still people on there, right? Uh, uh, but what we need to do is we need to add more train cars, and we need to be more efficient about getting those people off of the cars. And so that's what adding more red blood cells does. It adds more train cars to the system so that they're able to get more oxygen on there. And then by breathing less and getting carbon dioxide levels up and, and being more uh, uh, acidic in the blood, we're able to get the oxygen off quicker and more efficient. And so this helps with the efficiency of, of breathing. One, um, I think a really good analogy with, with breath is understanding Kind of the same thing with diet. So we think, oh, this is how much I need to breathe. I'm breathing on demand, right? And if you're someone that overbreathes, right, that's what you need to breathe. You're just, or especially if you're breathing through the mouth. And and mouth breathers, I mean, other than it just, it's, um, you know, it's a sign of of, of uh, unintelligence, but also halitosis and and all kinds of other things that come up. But if you're if you're breathing through the mouth. You're breathing more than what you need to immediately already. So you're breathing too much. So it's um, it's like if you are if you eat too much, if you eat twelve thousand calories a day, and th- and that's what you're used to eating. You're going to put on a lot of weight, and your body is going to need those calories because of the excess weight and all those things. And so you think that you need to eat more, and it becomes a cycle. And then as soon as you go on a diet, 
then your body goes, oh, it, it, first part when you go on a diet, you go, oh, I'm starving, I'm hungry. And and this is what air hunger is. This is what holding the breath does. We 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 are we're basically pushing our CO2 tolerance, right? Our our tolerance at how much carbon dioxide can we have on the system. Well, if our tolerance is really low, we're going to breathe really fast. If we're able to build that tolerance up, we start to breathe slower. So it's like you know, so I go on a diet, I start to eat less, I lose weight, and then my body adjusts to that new weight, it adjusts to the new cal- caloric intake. And then I'm healthier and I have a new normal. So when it comes to like breathing, like first off, is just to be conscious of how much you're breathing. Like breathe less. I know this is a long way to get to like one question, but breathe less. Breathe through your nose is the first one. It's, it's already, it's already going to downregulate how much you're breathing. Breathe slower when you could think about it. And, and if you can, like, periodically hold the breath or do practices where you have breath holding if you're like someone like me that you want to increase your athletic performance really working into doing long breath holds will will help it to increase your i mean there's there's a whole there's a whole like formula of all the things you need to do to increase your athletic performance through breathing but you know you increase your vital capacity how much oxygen the the lungs could hold you increase your respiratory strength, just like any muscle. When the muscle is stronger, it has to work less hard. So if you increase the the strength of your respiratory muscles through doing things, uh, I think we'll we'll do like a practice of how to increase respiratory strength. So you increase the strength of your diaphragm, your 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 corset muscles, like all all your core muscles, your intercostal muscles. Uh, they're stronger, so that means they work less. They they don't have to use as much energy to do the to do the job. So when you go out running, those are muscles that aren't having to work as hard. So that means they're not using as much much oxygen. Uh, you decrease your you you increase your CO2 tolerance. That means you could get carbon dioxide levels up higher. So when you are running, you don't feel or whatever you're doing, you don't feel the need to breathe as heavy. Um, and then you're also, because you're increasing that, you're also through like the bore effect, you're getting more oxygen into the cells. So that's like, like the real quick, quick, like a uh, quick and dirty way to do that. So, so breathing less whenever you can, whenever you can think about it, doing a breath practice that focuses around breathing less. That doesn't mean the whole breath practice is about breathing less. Like my, my athletic performance breath practice, there's a, a heat building part of it where I do a lot of fast breathing when I, or I do like something like Wim Hof where I do some rapid breath where I'm really working my respiratory muscles really strong. And then, um, and then I hold on an exhale and hold on an inhale, or there's different advantages to holding on exhales compared to holding on inhales. And they're both good. So I do both, you know, one works more towards CO2 tolerance. One, um, works more towards lowering, um, lowering SpO2, right? So you, you kind of need both of those. You want both of those. Uh, the, the other thing is, Breathing efficiently. So if I were to ask you right now, take a deep breath. Take a deep, deep inhale. Inhale deeper, inhale deeper, inhale deeper. All right, so note, notice that thing, what just happened when you really started to do it again. Breathe, fill your lungs as full as they get. As full as they do. And, and if you're listening, do this also at home. So if you notice, did you see your shoulders went up like this? Right, so that is that is essentially inefficient breathing. When we are filling the lungs, we're looking for space. Well, as the lungs go out, the, the lungs there's there's a little space. So the way the diaphragm works, it's kind of like uh, it's it like an M 
you know, it's not so much like a, an upside down U, but it's more like an M. The, the top of the diaphragm is connected and the, where the, the, the central tendon is, is connected to the mediastinum, which is at the bottom of the heart. So this does move a little bit, but if it were to move uh, down as, as much as the rest of the diaphragm did, it would cause some trauma to the heart. The heart would be going like this every time you, you started running or taking a deep breath. So it doesn't want to do that. It's the, the side of the diaphragm pulls down. And then the lungs, as they fill up, well, they can only go out so much. And then where they want to go is actually down. And they don't go down into the core as we expand the belly. What expanding the belly does is it allows the, the rib cage, the bottom ribs, to open up outwards like this. And then the intercostals open this way. So we want the intercostals to open downward like this so that we could get into this place where the lungs go into, which is called this uh, sub, subcostal recess little space. If you look at it at an x-ray of the lungs, when um, you see like a little black area in the pleural cavity right between the, the diaphragm and the ribs. So this the upper cavity. So you see that you want the lungs to be able to move down into that. And as you move the lungs out or the ribs out and down, you open up that space, which opens up your vital capacity, uh, which is how much air you can put into your lungs. So you basically with breathing with deep breaths, you're trying to open up as much as you can. Well, so that happens by breathing down. If I breathe up like this, there's not so much space. And now I start moving into this platysmus era, these muscles here, and I'm like coming up there and I'm lifting my shoulders up. Well, as I lift up my shoulders, this makes the, this pulls everything else up and it also deflates the chest. So I'm not able to move. It also takes a, a whole lot longer. But when you, when you breathe, when you take a deep breath, you want to imagine like you have a rubber band right around the center of your ribs, so the middle part of your ribs. So as you inhale, instead of inhaling up or down, you want to think of expanding it out in, in 360 degrees. So try that same breath really deep, but this time try to expand just in the middle. So you just inhale and keep the shoulders where they are and feel how fast and full you can fill the breath. You, you feel that? Like immediately your lungs are so much fuller and there was way less effort right? Did you feel that way less effort? You're completely full. You couldn't expand it. And you, you might actually feel like you could go even more. So this is like, this is how we should be breathing all the time. And when we're, when we're doing something heavy, where we have heavy breathing, we need to be aware of like, if I'm running or something like this, I don't want to be, I don't want to be breathing. Or if I'm doing something that's, you know, uh, if you do like jujitsu or, or anything that really makes you breathe super heavy and super hard, uh, when I when I watch, I mean, this is something I could go to the, just the UFC and, and train UFC fighters and immediately improve their performance just by when they're when they're working, when you see them breathing up into their chest like this, or you know, they're breathing through their mouth because they're trying to get more oxygen. Well, if if they had more red blood cells, they wouldn't need to breathe through the mouth. Another thing is when you're doing physical activity, always breathe through your nose, right? And 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 let that. So if you can't do what you're doing, if you can't run faster, breathing through your nose, run slower, right? Get that part up first, and then and then you'll be able to increase your performance so much more. And there's a lot of studies with runners and Olympians that change their their training practice to breathing through the nose, and they increase their time. I mean, by by a small amount, but if when you're at an Olympic level, to increase your time by anything is huge. Like you think like between first place and fifth place is less than a second right it's uh, it's between being on the platform or or not or the podium yeah how much can doing a practice of between 10 and 
20 minutes a day, how much can that affect something, a habit that we're going to do for the rest of the 23 hours and 40 minutes every day? I can't, one thing that I'm interested in is looking at something that is, is it habituated? Is it necessary? Do we have conscious control over it? How much of it is part of the, is it autonomous system? And how much of it is part of, like, what I'm trying to work out is, can we undo the good work during a breath practice of 10 or 20 minutes by not being conscious of it throughout the day? And obviously, we're doing stuff. I can't spend my whole day thinking about breathing. Well, the one part you should think about is breathing through the nose, right? You should spend the, if you notice you're breathing through the mouth throughout the day, you should be like, oh, I'm, or if you take, if you yawn like this, if I yawn for whatever reason, I hold my breath coming into this. Because if I I yawn, I took, I took a deep breath. It's a, it's a minor over breathing, a minor little bit of over breathing. And now I have, I just inflated my, my lungs. A normal breath is, is on average is about a half a liter. A full breath is on average about for, for a man is about five and a half to six and a half liters. So, you know, you just, you, you have residual volume and stuff, but you say so you're, you're actually probably breathing about three liters with a deep breath, uh, compared to the half of liter. So you're breathing like six to seven times more than what you need to. So already like that one deep breath, I'm like, okay, so I just, I just took like my breath, all the breaths I need for this entire minute. So I'm going <laughs> to hold my breath right now. Like that's how I think about it. But like, as far as like doing the practice in the morning, this really gets down to why you're doing the practice or what you're doing the practice for, because you're going to change like for athletic performance. If you want to increase athletic performance, 15 minutes, 20 minutes a day is not going to do it. It's the same thing. Like if you want to increase long distance running, Running for five, 10 minutes a day is not going to increase your long distance running or, or any sports. When it comes to athleticism, you need to move more or do more, uh, with, um, and then also there's something called a, like splenic contraction. So when you are in a place of, of oxygen deficiency for, so for a certain period of time, which is it change it's different for everybody, but roughly about 15 minutes is like when you're working out or you're running you get that second wind about after like 15 minutes or why people warm up. Uh, and when you do like these like crazy warm ups, it's to get that splenic contraction. So the spleen, which holds red blood cells contracts like this and it squirts out a bunch more red blood cells into your system. So then you have more red blood cells. So you can do more. Ath- the, the body's pretty smart like this. So it, it's already thinking ahead. So it's another way to become more polycythemic. But you need, you need to be able, if you're doing this regularly and you're constantly working the spleen, the spleen is going to get used to contracting more because it's, it doesn't necessarily empty itself. It gives maybe a little bit, you know, it, it doesn't want to give everything all at once. But if you work into, to lots of retentions like that into breath practice, you're going to get more of that. And it's going to, it's why if you do a breath practice, your like how I, how I do my practice, I, I normally start with, um, two minutes outer retention, two minutes inner retention, and then two minutes, two thirty outer retention, two thirty inner retention. So it's just like exhale, hold the breath, take an inhale, hold the breath. And the last one, three minutes outer retention, three exhale, hold for three minutes, inhale, hold for three minutes. And the third one that I do is easier than usually the first one. And that's because your, your body is, is getting those extra red blood cells through that splenic contraction. So if you're looking like that, 15 to 20 minutes, isn't going to really increase it, but 
doing this kind of practice every day, just like any, any kind of uh, workout, is going to increase everything else. Now, as far as like the other aspects of like, um, you know, if, if I wanted to do something to be more calm or relaxed, I'm going to feel the, the effects immediately afterwards. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to feel it necessarily all the way throughout the day because as soon as something else comes in to, to change my nervous system, right, I'm going to feel those effects of the nervous system. Or if I do a practice that, that like in the morning, let's say I do like an energizing practice, like a wake-up practice, and I'm doing a lot, of, a lot of things that really work into the sympathetic nervous system, I'm going to feel really energized for a bit, but as soon as – but that's going to wear off. It's like having a coffee, right? Coffee only lasts so long. The good, the, you could essentially get the same effects with that. So it's not really going to change this, the, uh, the autonomy of your life, but it's, it's a tool for what you need, depending on what you're doing. Like I said, if you're doing like an, uh, 30 or 40 minutes of, uh, of something to in, increase your VO2 max, like that kind of stuff, you will see those effects anytime that you need to do anything that increases your demand for uh, cardio. Yeah. Do you have any other triggers that you use throughout the you, day? So you mentioned there that if you yawn, you hold your breath. Are there any other triggers that people can use to ensure that they're breathing correctly through their normal day-to-day -day existence? Uh, other, other kind of not 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 so much like when i when i think about it i just try to breathe slower doing a breath practice where you, where you're even if you're doing 15 or 20 minutes a day like you don't have to be a, a psycho like me and and do 45 minutes to an hour every single day but ju but just doing something like that is especially if you do it in the morning is going to start your day with at least that mindfulness around the breath so that awareness around the breath and, and the way that i talk about the breath like um there, there's a lot of people out there with, with, you know, they're, they're kind of biohacking thing and saying this fixes all that. And the breath doesn't fix anything. It, it's, that's, it, it's like anything, it's like anything else. Like, uh, we have these, these different aspects of health, right? Diet, fitness, sleep, stress, good stress or bad stress and breathing. And so if we don't have, uh, if we don't, um, have proper diet or we eat bad, we feel it through everything else. And if we don't sleep well, we wake up, we feel it. Same, same thing with the breath. So we got to, the breath is going to affect everything on, on how we use it, but it's more of, more of a tool. So it's like, a, if I breathe and I'm doing a practice that's maybe really about balancing and centering my mind, balancing my nervous system, good practice for this is box breathing or square breathing where you inhale, hold, exhale, hold for like the same amount of time there's been research around hrv with this how it shows to balance the nervous system so practice like this is good to put you in a mindset where you are more rational and more clear or more more balanced less um less reactive but if you, it like you know breathing could fix your relationships if you're in the right place to fix your relationships but breathing can't fix your relationship you know, what I'm, you know what I'm saying? It's like, so it could kind of act as a tool to put you in a more conscious mindset or to bring you out of, out of the sympathetic tone that's triggering whatever it is. Or if you are just feeling super lazy and lethargic, sometimes like if I'm just, if, uh, I'm wanting to do something and I'm, I'm on the couch and I don't feel like getting off the couch, I, I'll do a breath practice that'll increase that tone. I'll do some, some Kabbalah Bhatti or Bastrika where I'm like, <laughs> 
just really fast in and out to the nose, pumping my breath, and then maybe I'll hold at the end because anytime I do fast breathing, I usually add in some breath hold after that. But that brought me into my sympathetic nervous system. I'm in a safe place. So I talk about this, the polyvagal theory in the book. You know, sympathetic nervous system doesn't always mean fight or flight. It's also like mobility. So I'm, and I'm in a, I feel I'm in a safe place, sympathetic nervous system. And now it's like, all right, let's go. And already I just motivated myself to do whatever that is. But yeah, so it's like the breath acts as a tool to help fix the areas of your life. Like uh, breathing is amazing for sleep. It's amazing to do, like I'll, I'll do breath practices if I'm going to sleep, but if I drank coffee after like two or three o'clock in the afternoon, if I'm stressed, one of the things that breathing can do is it could help help with my mind, with my thoughts and letting go of all those things. Uh, so if I, my mind is, is really busy, the breathing could help with that. But if, but if I'm, yeah, if I've just done a lot of coffee or I'm on on my computer till late at night and I, I have all this blue light and stuff like these different these different things are going to affect my sleep. Yeah, breathing is going to help, but it's not going to solve the problem. I have to go in and and fix those other aspects to help improve my help improve that. It's one. It's one thing. So breath is a tool. It's not it's not a cure all. Mm, I suppose it's the same as talking about will exercise make me fit outside of exercise and you go well there is a component of that you need to train in the gym but also you should try and get a little bit of movement in throughout your day it's like do i need to eat well all the time it's like well the more that you can eat well the better you need to have your square meals being good but if you keep snacking in between those i.e good diet bad diet the that's also going to have an effect on you if you sleep well once a week and then for the other nights of the week you don't sleep so good so yeah it makes sense that you have a focused period on the breath which is your practice and then you're cognizant of it throughout the day and you're trying to instantiate those good habits as best you can that does that does make sense one of the yeah. things that i found interesting was energetic locks can you explain oh, how that works so the energetic locks in yoga we call these bandhas and this is a an what I what I really like I hope I hope as being a non-yogi is like the stuff made sense to you because I, I really try to write it for non-yogis but still also appeal to because I am a yogi uh, in every sense of the term so still still a, appeal to what those things do uh, so a banda is an energetic lock it's kind of from this old ancient school of yoga I do, I do talk quite a bit into it there's there's essentially there's locks like you could say there's locks everywhere but i talk about the three major locks which is mula bandha the root lock udiana bandha which is the the navel lock and then jalandara jalandara bandha which is the throat lock uh in like practices like physical practice like ashtanga you hear a lot of uh, mula bandha and stuff Essentially, it's a, it's a contraction. Each one of them is a contraction of a different muscle, and they, they do different things. And the idea is to regulate the energetic flow. And I, I think with, like, one, one thing that people get really confused on or, or don't understand is, like, what is energy? Now that's, that's like a, you know, you could talk to, if you, if you talk to a structural engineer about what energy is or you talk to a an electrician about what energy is or if you talk to like a spiritual guru about what what energy is they, they'll give you different answers i mean um it's, what I, does I it mean a, to you then what does it mean in your it's not that what it means to me it's it has a lot of different definitions 
Right? So you have ther- thermal energy, you have you have electrical energy, you have kinetic energy. Uh, you have so like the the nervous system as we move, like this this movement that we have is is energy. What tells my my muscles to fire is is an electrical impulse that happens through a sodium potassium pump on the cellular level that sends a signal up or down from the brain depending on efferent or afferent nerves and then we have movement uh so this is very much the western sense of what we feel energy is in our body right we have thermal energy obviously like is is we we produce heat uh i'm i'm in bali it's quite hot right now i'm i'm talking to you with my AC off and I'm feeling my body heat as I, as I sweat up my shirt. Uh, yeah. So there's a, you know, that's, that's another type of energy. And then when we get into yoga, we, we don't really know what we're saying when we say energy and we talk about like how the energy moves through the body. And so this was like the, the yoga the, we have the, the yoga yoga is quite old you know it's thousands of years old and they didn't have the tools to see how myelinated and unmyelinated nerves work or, or how the signal transponds or any, anything like that uh, but they they mapped out before they even knew what nerves are they mapped out these things called nadis which is how energy flows through the body and if you if you uh, you'll feel it like if you hit your funny bone or if you get a kink you ever had like a kink in your back and you feel it in your hand, Right. So that like the yogis maybe understood that as, oh, here's like an energetic thing or or just your level of energy. How much. How much um, energy, you, you know what I'm saying, like your, your energetic levels of like to get out and do stuff or if you're low on energy, you don't want to do something. So this is all things that we refer to as energy. And, and on a scientific on the Western side, I see this as sympathetic, parasympathetic. Right. What what is producing this level of energy well the yogis had a, a different map or a different system of energy but it's the same thing they just they just describe it different and and one of the things that i i love and and i really tried to do in this book was to show how these two the actually it's four or five systems depending on how you, you're looking at it but how these systems intertwine because if we're talking about energy it's all the same thing and we realize it's it's all the same thing it's it's my energy is essentially your inner, like as far as you're concerned as a subjective experiencer, it's your interaction with the world and how you move through it. That's, that's your energy or how outer things affect you. Right? so cold affects you. That's an energetic thing. Heat affects you. That's an energetic thing. Emotions affect you, right? That's an energetic thing. If someone if someone you don't know just comes by and gives you the bird or, or, or in London, the, the reverse peace fingers, <laughs> I'm, I'm used to like California be like, eh, peace. Right. And then like, like, oh, I'm always like, peace, <laughs> peace out. In London, they're like, Oh, why, why are you, should, why are you doing that to me? I'm like, Oh, peace brother. Like, no, no, no. that's like that. <laughs> yeah. But you, you know, that's, that's felt with energy. We actually feel that. Or if you go into a room and somebody you immediately feel someone's like good energy or dark energy. And this is something that we have been programmed from, from an evolutionary standpoint to keep us safe. Is that person dangerous or not dangerous? Well, we use that word energy to say that this person has bad energy, meaning this person is dangerous or this person has good energy, meaning this person's not dangerous. Maybe I want to mate with this person. Maybe I want to fight this person. Right? So we, we feel that. 
uh, well, the yogis did a, a great job of, of mapping these types of energies out and how they, they manifest in us and how they on maybe an emotional level. So when I start thinking about the energetics of, of yoga, I think of like more, how are these affecting the ener- the emotional energetics of my life? And how do I bring balance about this? And because I, I know and I understand that how through the Western system of energy and how, you know, emotions are essentially just hormones and neurotransmitters and they're affected through the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system, right? So our feelings, our imbalances, like if I have relation relationship problems, will you ever have a relationship problem with someone you don't really care about? Yes. Yeah. You don't, it doesn't really affect you so, so much, right? You don't have those, those emotional imbalance, even though you have a relationship problem, you're like, well, I guess this relationship's over, you know, <laughs> right? Or, but if you have a relationship problem with something that you care a lot about, they affect you really deeply, even though they're both relationship problems. So it's, but we're, we're trying to, it's the, the hormones that are, that are released and the neurotransmitters are released that make us feel that way, which is, so I know, well, I know that through the breath, if I inhale, then that's going to affect my parasympathetic nervous system. I know if I exhale, it's going to be, or sorry, inhale is my sympathetic, exhale is going to be my parasympathetic. Well, also, if I inhale, this is going to, like I talk about the, the yoga side of the, my, my rajasic energy. So rajasic energy is the energy that goes out and expands and dissipates, right? It's, it's, uh, we think of this energy as the doing energy. Right. This is this is the energy that we have. And we think about the sympathetic nervous system. This is the moving energy. Well, what are the imbalances of, of always needing to do, always going after goals or whatever? Like we burn out, we get exhausted. We need balance in that. And so now I'm looking at something on an energetic level of, OK, well, I don't just want more uh, energy to get going. But but where the imbalance here where I'm burning myself out. Right. And I see that. And it's like, okay, well, I want to bring balance into this. So maybe I need more tamasic energy. And tamas is things coming down and contracting together, consolidating. Right. But if I have too much of it, then I just, I'm just like stuck. I'm stuck in my system or I'm wilting away. You know, if you don't move, you atrophy. And this is, this is the, if we stop moving, it's not that we stop doing anything. We start dying. And this is the, the energy of Thomas. And so we don't want to be there, but if we're always moving, then we burn out. So somewhere in there, there's a balance. And this is the, that balance is called sattva in yoga. And sattva is the energy of being. So Rajas is doing, Thomas is having, it's, there's good parts of it, you know, feeling warm, safe, comfortable. Right. These these things like but if too much of that, then you're like, you know, the, the saying like uh, you never want to be too comfortable because then you don't do anything. Uh, that's not really a saying, but it's based off of the saying that I don't remember what the saying is. But, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like there's like we don't want to be too comfortable because then we lose our rajas of doing. So when you find the balance of that, we get into being and and being only lasts so long like and and we like why don't we always just want to be in sattva well we do but is that a possibility that's realistic for people usually not usually not usually we need to move or we need to rest and so we're we're tiptoeing like around this um we're always looking for homeostasis until we find homeostasis and then we're looking for something else right what you know what i'm saying like that's how the body works. You're trying to get balance. As soon as you're balanced, the body goes, okay, we're let's, there's no growth in balance. We need to unbalance ourselves so we could grow again. 
And, and this is just the, the yogi saw this and they kind of, so this is where that system comes together. And so sattva to be, the energy is actually upward. I didn't understand that, but when you talk about upward, it's the upward flow of energy is growth. And in sattva, it really it's our spiritual growth or enlightenment. Uh, enlightened means to shine light upon something that's dark so that you understand it. Yeah, so the illuminated, the, the, the name of my book is called The Illuminated Breath. It's to basically remove the darkness around the breath so that we understand it. And that, that's, that's when you understand it, it's useful. It becomes a tool and you could, you could work with it. So this is like we see these energy systems as the same thing. And when we see them as the same thing and we just realize that it's yeah, – I, I use the, the illustration of looking at a map. If you draw a map, well, the map is nothing. It only represents something that's real. Right. If I if I have a map of England, well, that's a representation of England. If I want to go, you're in Manchester, Newcastle, or Newcastle, Newcastle. So if I want to go up to Newcastle from London, yeah, I would follow what, the M1 or something. I don't know the roads there. <laughs> is that right? Correct. Yeah, the A1. What it turns into is about a mile away here. Oh, cool. All right. So so I would follow the road system, but if I was to to build something. I would look at like city planning or if you know or plumbing or something like that or if I wanted to go hiking I might look at a topography map. Well they all just represent the same thing. They're just different aspects of that thing. And so when I when I know that what the map is representing and I, if I know I move north I move north across all maps, right? But it's but what do what do I need from that map to, for it to be useful to me? And that's why the different systems are important. That's why understanding is important. Moving is the breath. So I need to I need to move north. The breath is going to take me north. How do I? Why do I need to move move north? Am I going north to come see you? Am I going on a hike? You know, it's like what what do I want to see? Uh, and so like we understand that I know how the breath affects these different things. And this is something that I. I laid out in the book to kind of make it it's it's really simple there's there's one venn diagram in there called the systems of balance that shows the autonomic nervous system the polyvagal theory the nadis the values and the gunas and how that's affected through the inhale or in the exhale and then um learn and then the, there's a chapter on on each of those that tells you what that map actually represents so you could be like okay well you know I, i'm feeling like my head's lost in the clouds, I'm just a dreamer. Well, this is like Viana Bayou, right? That's what that map represents. So it takes something that's really like kind of foo-foo and gives you something that that uh, allows you to take a little bit more control of your life so that you could find balance if you need balance. Or if you're like, I'm too stuck in the center, how do I move out of the center, right? Because that might be something that you need as well. The final paragraph in your book is really, really beautiful. I just wanted to read it here. Learning to breathe is like learning to live. The smallest details hold the most significance. A single step in an epic adventure carries with it all the subtleties of experience that we have gained along the way. The destination is just one more step in the perpetual cycle of inhalations and exhalations. Each breath contains all the potential of life, and we can't hold either one forever. Maybe by learning to breathe, we can discover living. We're guaranteed only two breaths in this life, our first and our last. We can waste every breath merely existing, or we can use every breath to create meaning and experience the true miracle of living. Sick way to finish your book, man. Thanks. Really good. Yeah. Uh, 
spoiler alert no. <laughs> oh, yeah exactly that's it that, and then and he dies at the end he dies at the end um you yeah. were going to show us a, a breath practice and maybe people who oh, aren't yeah. aren't yeah. driving or operating heavy machinery could follow along at home right you could do you could do part of this operating heavy machinery in fact that's that's the thing about the the breath practice you could pretty much do it anywhere right where like um I, this this sounds pretty bad, but I don't like when I do my breath practice in the morning. I'm not like a, I do a meditation practice. I get up, I get out of my bed. I have I have this beautiful view of the jungle. I op- I open up my curtains. I have a I have a seat at the foot of my bed. Or it's elevated up, and I sit there and I do my 30 minutes of meditation. Then I go downstairs and I prop myself up on the couch, which is right here, and then I look at the tv which is right there and i do my my 45 minutes to an hour athletic performance while i'm watching the news or catching up like as you know being in bali i want to see what's going on in the rest of the world less now that trump's out of office but it's still pretty interesting but also america America season three is going to be so boring now that he's gone he was the only good character in it yeah for sure i'm like I got kind of got addicted to the crazy drama. Did you yeah, see? So sorry, do, did you see that the the news anchors had done a little campaign, make news boring again? Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's 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 crazy. Yeah, and all of them are the Stephen Colbert and and all those guys are all talking about like, oh, you know, I'm so excited for for boring stories. Yeah, it, but uh, my my point is, I do my practice while i'm while i'm watching tv so it's not like something that you have to like separate your life from it if if um if you're someone that commutes a lot when actually this is something that i've been doing for years in in london because i i spend a lot of time in london when i go from one one stop to the next stop on the tube i hold my breath between stops so i'll do that like it doesn't matter like if if there's like 18 or 20 stops or whatever, if I'm going like super far, usually it's only like four or five, but I, and sometimes they're, they're pretty far in between, but like I breathe, I, I breathe when the doors are open and when the doors close, I hold my breath. And that's I, a cool sometimes trigger. I, yeah. Oh yeah. Trigger. Yeah. So that, so like, that's like, I do those, those kinds of things. Like, you know, when you think about opportunities to breathe consciously or opportunities to in, increase something that you you want to work on i'm someone that's very much into fitness and and increasing like my fitness levels and all that and so yeah so you could do you could do this really most breath practices anywhere uh i teach on the, this app called allo moves and they they want to do like something for the plane and they they said something they didn't want to use any of my programs. There's a lot of like touching your face and stuff, which is obviously not good with COVID times as well. But like the naughty show to not practice uh, is a lot of that's that's really the only one where you're touching your face or if you're doing Brahmari where you're like and doing Shankara Mudra. Uh, anyways, uh, but yeah, so it's like, yeah, you've, uh, you can do this press practice anyways. Anyway, so getting into it. So we're going to do a, a really quick practice. I'm actually going to teach you three different breath practices, which is kind of fun. Three different breath practices. Uh, and what we're doing, the first two is like level of energetics, right? So these, these are all to increase respiratory strength. Uh, 
One, the first one is going to help you learn how to actively, or sorry, passively relax your belly, which is something that we, uh, another thing that we do that creates inefficient breathing that I didn't mention is, especially if you're a fit guy or, or if you if you like your six pack or whatever, or you just hold your gut in all the time, right? If, you, if you're constantly contracted to the core, you're not allowing your bottom ribs to release. And so you're basically inefficient in breathing. So, um, so what we're going to do is you're going to inhale, talk about those bandhas, the, the Uddiyana bandha, which is the, the navel lock, which is like uh, another way to think about it is like a vacuum breath. You pull the belly in and up towards the spine. Now, this isn't good to do if you've drinking a lot of water, if you've just eaten or you need to go to the bathroom. It's uncomfortable. You can still do it, but it's it's not as comfortable. I like to do these all my athletic performance breathing uh, on a completely empty stomach. So it's a active forced exhale. And, and if you just actively force exhale through the nose and a passive inhale, normally what we do is we breathe is we do an active inhale and a passive exhale. So this is flipping it. We're, we're moving um, a little bit more air. If we, like I say, if we're moving about 500 mLs, now we're moving about 700, 800 to 1,000 maybe. So uh, a, a little bit more, not, not a dramatic amount. And you kind of want to go at the pace that you do. So uh, I'll, I'm going to first just sit here and do it, and then I'll show you what my stomach is doing. Uh, I'll pull up my shirt so you can kind of see my stomach. So it's the first one. is It's just exhale through the nose, passive inhale. Yeah, maybe clear the nose, get the boogies out. So it's... It takes practice to build up speed, so it's good to when you're starting it to maybe go slow, maybe go. We'll do it at that speed. My normal speed is like. But the inhales, you hear it, the inhale is passive. So it looks, on, on this level, it looks like this. So. All right, so that's the first one. We're, we're going to do that one, and, and here we'll, we'll do these together. I won't count them. We'll do it for about, actually, yeah, we'll do it for about 20 seconds each. I'll say, I'll say first practice, Kabalbati, and I'll say second practice, Bastrika. So Kabalbati means skull shining breath. I'm not going to get into why it means that. Second practice, it's in the book. It doesn't matter. Second practice is called Bastrika, which is billows breath. So billows like is something that they used to have. I don't know. You guys like fire things like you do like this. And it goes in and out. So this is a force inhalation and a force exhalation. So as we talk about like the energetics of breath or, or how much it's affecting the nervous system, this is more extreme. It's like, well, why are they different? Well, why do you do jogging? Why do you do sprinting? Right. The one one is more than the other. So it's doing the same thing, but it's affecting it more and little difference with how it's affecting respiratory control or your dexterity over breathing, which is also something important that we haven't talked about so much in this and increasing the respiratory strength on a forced inhale and a forced exhale. So here we're adding the force inhale. So this is deeper. First one we're moving, like I said, between maybe 700 to 1000. Now we're moving from like 1200 to if you're really good at it to maybe about 2,000 or 2,500 mLs. Remember, average breath is about uh, about 500 mLs. Full breath, full deep breath is about three to 4,000 mLs, depending on how efficient you are at breathing. When you get really efficient, you take a full breath, 
it's going to be four or eight, once you get your vital capacity up and you full breath might be five or 6,000 mls. Stig Sverenson is, he's, uh, 11 and like a half liters. He's, he could hold his breath for like 22 minutes. Free diver guy. Awesome. Awesome breather. Um, but yeah, so you could really increase your capacity quite a bit. So this one, it looks like this, like, notice my shoulders. I'm not like this. It's so if you look at the belly, now it looks like this. So getting that force exhale, it's harder to do it standing up. It's a little easier to do it sitting down. So that's the second practice. Do that one about 20 seconds. So the first one, it'll look like this. As we're building, it'll be like, we'll do it a little slower. So maybe more like this. And we'll go into Bostrika, be a little bit more like this. Roughly about this pace. And the last one we're going to do is on an outer retention. So what, what, what we're doing in this one, we're decreasing our carbon dioxide. So we come, that word, hypocapnic. So once we decrease our carbon dioxide, we become hypocapnic. And then we're going to hold the breath on the outer retention. In yoga, it's called baya kumbhaka. Baya means outer, or empty. Kumbhaka means uh, container. So it's uh, it's basically just referring to the breath hold. And this one, you, uh, I did this as a kid. So it's the it's like Udiana Bunda, where you I try to make myself look like Skeletor or whatever, or like suck my stomach in and try to be as skinny as I, I, I can. So you do this on a full exhale, empty out as much as you can out of the lungs. Then you're going to pull the belly in as, as deep as you can, like you're trying to glue the navel to the upper portion of your spine. So you don't want to think just in, you want to think like in and up, right? And this is, it's uh, another way to do that is like you exhale completely and then you inhale, but without inhaling through your mouth. So you're creating inter-abdominal pressure. So that you're, and that's going to suck the belly up. And then while holding the breath still, you're going to release and, and completely relax all the muscles. And so it's going to act like this pumping thing. When I'm down, uh, sometimes it, like, it sounds like a slapping action, like it's slapping my my, my stomach. So it's like, yeah, so I do this one again. So I'll exhale. I can't talk after I do this, so I'll just show you. So So that one is just in, out. It's This one's a lot easier to do sitting down as well, I think. At least I always practice it sitting down, so I don't really practice it standing up. And it's also awkward to like look at myself on the screen while doing it. <laughs> like, what am I doing? <laughs> Rather than feeling what's so the reason? Like, what, what's the reason for the movement of the stomach uh, upon the exhalation? So on the – well, first of all, you can't really do this breath on an inhalation. Right. You, you could try it, but you're not going to get as much movement. But really, you're doing two things. One, it's a outer retention breath hold. So you're when you hold on outer retention, your body uses oxygen a lot, the available oxygen a lot faster. Right. So you start to decrease SpO2 faster before CO2 tolerance comes up because, you, you know, we're, we're that's what's causing us to breathe. It's not so much the oxygen. At a point, the oxygen will be like, oh, it's time to breathe. But 
for most of us, it's we, we're we're on on a, a carbonic drive, so that that's CO2. Uh, when I hold it on the inhale, I'm the I have a longer time. I have more oxygen in the lungs, so I have a longer time for the oxygen to come down, and so the 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 CO2 tolerance also has a longer time to to build up. We could hold our breath much longer on an inhale than an exhale because there's more available oxygen there. So that's one of the advantages. There's less available oxygen, so we decrease oxygen faster, which helps with that the the, the body's effect to want to make more red blood cells. So it's really that's a really good advantage there of holding the breath on the exhale. The other thing what we're doing is that this practice is all about strengthening respiratory muscles, really the deep respiratory muscles in the diaphragm. So I'm really using the diaphragm because what the diaphragm does is it it's for inhalation. As I inhale, it pulls down. As I'm doing this breath, it's uh, I'm doing it against a greater resistance because I'm holding it closed. And because, so that extra resistance as I pull the navel in and up helps to strengthen the diaphragm even more. And it's a muscle. So like all muscles, it gets stronger when you use it. Relaxing the belly uh, it allows me to go quicker because we're not breathing. So it's not, you could push it out, but it's, it's better just to, just to relax it in the sense. And it's much, fa- much faster. So we're trying to get as many, you know, as many effective, uh, it's called Agni Sar. Agni Sar means fire essence breath. Agni is fire. And so this is centered around the third chakra, which is related to fire. That's a whole bunch of yoga yoga stuff that we don't need to talk about but yeah so anyway so uh we're we're working in that and this this whole practice is about increasing respiratory strength so that's the purpose of this i would i wouldn't do this by itself i would do this as part of a greater practice and um i have an intermediate sequence where this is what in the book i talk about the different parts of a breath sequence this would be like the heat building sequence cool so we know why we're doing it which is really important. If you don't know why you're doing it, why do it? Right? It's, it's just like, and that's, I have a clear intention. And when I have a clear intention, I'm clear about the goals that I want to do. Uh, and so if I know my goals and I know my intention, it helps me to find the tools that I need to get there. And so this is one of those tools to get there. And that's, that's we're just building, we're just building this growth equation, equation for, for I don't know, yeah. So my, my equation for life, how to grow intention, action, purpose. Let's do it. All right. So we're going to do it. Uh, would, should I just sit here like this or do you want to see the belly? Everyone's okay. Okay. All right. Everyone understands it. And this is recorded. So just rewind it if you forgot. So I'm going to do the practice with you. I will just cue. We'll do each one. Um, let me start a little timer on my phone so I can just see. So I can just see, we'll do 20 seconds of each, uh, each one, and move on to the next. So 20 seconds, Kabalabhati, or Skull Shining Breath, 20 seconds, Bastrika, or Billow's Breath, and then 20 seconds, Agni Sar, which is the exhale hold. Exhale. So if you see me not, if you don't hear me breathing, that means you shouldn't be breathing. All right? If, I'm going to breathe kind of a, a slower, moderate pace. If you can't breathe as fast as me, Breathe at your own pace. And that's really like breathing is one of those things you could 100% uh, approach at, at whatever level you're at. So here we go. Three, two, one, Kabbalah Bhati.
Last streaker. Inhale, exhale completely. Agnisar, begin. Inhale, exhale. So that's uh that's just like one round, you know, real quick that took one minute. Uh, this would be something that's really good to do for like five or 10 minutes, right? And then you work at your own pace, just 20 seconds of each. And you could already feel, do you feel a little bit more energized, yeah. right? Immediately, that's a sympathetic nervous system kicking in and going, all right, you know, we, we got some energy to move. It's a, a really great practice. It's, I mean, it's something you could do. Um, it's something you do like between sets as you're as you're getting going from one thing or another or if you're just like right before you're ready to start running or even on like yeah uh like i said breathing is one of those things we're always doing it we're always doing it and um how you do it matters all right what's the favorite saying how you do one thing is how you do everything well how do you breathe because that's what you're doing the most of you're not doing any one activity more than that. Not one that you can control anyways. Dude, I love it. Thank you for today. One of my favorite things that I'll be taking away is um, reframing the way that the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system work. It's kind of like almost like the sympathetic nervous system is being demonized now. Very much yes. so in sort of common, common discussions around it. But it's got a usefulness. So, so much so. And I, and I think it's not without, without reason why the sympathetic nervous system is demonized. Most people are chronically in it. And so if I think if everybody was chronically in their parasympathetic nervous system, if we lived in a society where everyone was so relaxed and they just like, uh, you know, we would demonize the parasympathetic nervous system because no one would be doing anything. They'd just be like, oh, everyone's just so lazy and lethargic, right? Uh, but because we are in this like this to do mode, this Rajas mode of we I always need to do something, always need to be productive. And one of the things that is even if you're not doing something, you're thinking about doing something and thinking the body like thinking about doing something and doing something affects the nervous system basically the same way. Uh, but, yeah, it's it, it is definitely very useful. And I, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because I, I did try to spend a, quite a bit of time in the book talking about the usefulness of the of the sympathetic nervous system and it's like a, I don't know if you've read any studies on stress and um, the body's response to stress is is significantly different if it's viewed as a positive thing versus if it's viewed as a negative thing and the 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 nervous system which is affected by stress and and, and uh, kind of both ways how it it its physiological response is very different based on whether we feel safe or unsafe. Right? And that's, that's a huge thing, and that's really important to understand. Well, a big part of that is going to be because of what, how people interpret the sensations that are going through their body. Sam Harris talks about this where he says, imagine that you felt 
spontaneously the way that you do at the end of a very heavy set in the gym or at the end of doing a heavy cardio workout, you would think that you were dying. It would be awful. You'd be terrified. And yet you elect to do that when you go into the gym. So it shows us that it isn't about the sensations. It's about our judgments upon them. That's what Marcus Aurelius said, right? And um, It's 100%. I, I wonder whether some people perhaps aren't allowing themselves to lean into that discomfort the same way that they would do from the sympathetic nervous system because of a fear of it. I've been told that the flight and fight response is bad for me, that I need to be parasympathetic. One of the things that I've relied on the most, especially over the last year when training, has been to remind myself that this is why you're here. When you're doing something which is challenging and worthwhile and it becomes challenging, that's why you're here. You're not here for it to be easy. You're here because the discomfort is growth. That can be pushed too far. But for the most part, I think people undertrain rather than overtrain. I think that they probably overbreathe rather than underbreathe. So the discomfort of feeling that uh, breath hunger, the discomfort of feeling the burn in the gym, the ache in the muscles, like that's why you're here. It's a feature, not a bug of this system. And um, yeah, reframing it that way, I really hope that some people have, have taken that away from it. Uh, where should people go? They want to check out the book. They want to learn more about you. Where do they go? So here, here's the book. I just got this yesterday. You have like so excited about it. Um, yeah, The Illuminated Breath by me. Uh, where you could buy books, that's where, where you could get it. So if you go on Amazon, go on Amazon, you could get this. If you go to my website, dylanwarneryoga.com, there's on the on the top menu thing there's a link that says the illuminated breath click on that and i have a ton of different links of different places you can buy it so that's really uh for like if you're in the u.s or you're in the uk or somewhere else outside i'm pretty sure it delivers it ships everywhere so um, i mean i'm here in bali i got it here it's uh the launch date for the u.s i think it starts delivering the 23rd of february I'm not sure when this is, this is going to come out, uh, and I think the UK is like the 28th or the 29th. But uh, whatever day it is for you, you should just like go out and order it right now, so you're like the first one to get it. The link to pre-order <laughs> will be in the show notes below, and of course your Instagram as well, where you share quite a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, uh, Dylan Warner Yoga. That's that's uh, just got a couple followers on there. Um, I feel really, I'm really grateful for, for the followers that I do have. You know, I, I actually just really grateful for this life that I have. I, you know, it's, um, I, I, you know, you just get lucky sometimes. I feel like I got super lucky in life like, to land here, but yeah, uh, check me out there. I, I just, it's mostly posting handstands and arm balances and other stuff that people think is impossible, but if a 40-year-old dude like me can do it, then uh, anyone can do it. Yeah. I didn't, it, to, be, to be fair, I didn't even start handstanding until I was like 29 years old. So it's, it's never too late. Brother, I love it. Yeah. Thank you very much for today. I hope that everyone's taken a lot away from this. Links to everything you've spoken about, your website, Illuminated Breath, and your Instagram will be in the show notes below. And if anyone's got any feedback, just leave it in the comments or abuse Dylan in his DMs. Yeah, yeah, please. Uh, I don't really answer my DMs because, I don't know, I'm, sometimes. Sometimes I do. It depends. It depends. But if you get lucky, I'll, I'll answer you in there. But if, uh, yeah, abuse, abuse Chris. or <laughs> <laughs> Don't abuse me. No, this is your, this is your turn. 
Look, yeah. man, thank oh, you yeah. so thank much. You. Enjoy Bali. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I uh, really appreciate you having me here. I'm truly honored and uh, lots of gratitude. Thank you.